You're listening to Radically Pragmatic, a podcast from the Progressive Policy Institute. We talk with lawmakers, policy experts, and thought leaders about the issues driving the news nationally and internationally. The Progressive Policy Institute is a catalyst for policy innovation and political reform with offices in Washington, D.C. and Brussels. Its mission is to create radically pragmatic ideas for moving America beyond ideological and partisan deadlock. We encourage analytical conversations, not your typical partisan talking points. Hello, I'm Jasmine Stoughton, and welcome back to another episode of The Mosaic Moment on PPI's Radically Pragmatic podcast. For those of you who don't know, Mosaic is a project at the Progressive Policy Institute that aims to put more women at the forefront of policymaking by empowering our experts with the tools and connections needed to engage with the media and lawmakers on today's toughest policy challenges. Today, we have Reed Fobble, who is state and local policy director here at the Progressive Policy Institute, and she'll be talking with Sahar Fathi, policy director for Washington State Attorney General and Mosaic alumni. Without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and turn the conversation over to these two. Thanks again for listening. Well, hello, everyone. Um, It's my pleasure to be here today recording my first podcast with Mosaic. Um, Like Jasmine said, I'm Reed Fobble, state and local political director here at PPI. Thank you, Jasmine, for having me here. I'm excited for this really timely conversation. State governments are really a focus for advocates and wonky political folks right now. Permitting reform, energy production, education system structure, workforce development, and increasing family social support are all issues that are being tackled at the state level. And as we navigate the turbulent 2024 election cycle, we know that state implementation of federal funding passed by Democrats the last Congress will focus the narrative um, generally on state governments. In general, the the public is not engaged on this level of government outside of the hot button hot button topics of anti-trans legislation, book banning, and abortion restrictions. Public trust in government is at an all-time low, and so it may be the right time to shift the public's attention to what state governments are doing. What better way to discuss state politics and policy than to welcome a guest who works on this level? Sahar, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. Well, I want to start off not by reading your very impressive biography and listing (laughs) the um, awards that you've been given, but instead give you really an opportunity to introduce yourself and where your career has taken you thus far. Yeah, so I uh, am technically trained as a lawyer, um, although I say I I spent maybe a minute in the legal profession and then decided Mm -hmm. to shift to policy. Uh, After I went to law school here in Washington State, and then after law school, I created an organization called the Middle Eastern Legal Association of Washington uh, with a friend. And then a year later, I created the first free legal clinic in the country for Middle Easterners. Um, a lot of people will tell you that free legal clinics do not necessarily pay the bills. So I had a nine to five job on the mm-hmm. side uh, working for the city council. Um, and so while most people had their nine to five job, I had the nine to five and then I spent nights listening to people on the phone tell me their experiences about being Muslim or Middle Eastern in the country. Um, and then I also taught for a few years at the University of Washington School of Law at night. Um, When President Trump passed his executive orders banning Muslims, um, that was six or seven years after I had created this clinic, 
I was still working for the city. I had created some really amazing programs. Uh, the Refugee Women's Institute, which built trust between police and refugees, got national recognition for its innovation in government. I got to help the city's first, create the city's first Office of Immigrant and Refugee Affairs. I created the first ethnic media program in government. And then I managed the city's organized strategy for organizing strategy for um, including underserved community voices in process. And, um, but when the Muslim ban happened, my, my family is from Iran. Iran was named in the Muslim ban. Um, and so I ended up taking my law degree and going to SeaTac Airport at 4.30 in the morning before work to help impacted families uh, from Iran. I got a call from someone in the community who said that we didn't have enough attorneys who spoke Farsi doing shifts at the airport. So I, I signed up um, and I was often at the arrivals gate at the airport before most people have their coffee in the morning. And I would look for people who look like me after flights landed and I waited with them. I explained to them why their loved ones were taking hours longer than everyone else to come through the gate. And then when the sun came up, I hopped on light rail and I went to work. Um, I then uh, ended up working for the King County Council. King County is the largest county in Washington state on their central staff. Uh, I was policy staffer, the lead policy staffer for homelessness. And then I also worked on equity, behavioral health, voting and housing issues. Um, Attorney Bob, Attorney General Bob Ferguson, and I don't know how many folks know this, he was the first attorney general out the gate to sue the president over the Muslim ban. Um, and so a few years ago, after I had been volunteering in those early mornings at the airport and I'd gone to the county, a friend called and she said, you know, the attorney general is looking for a new policy director. Would you talk with his chief of staff? And he had stood up for my people and honestly, like he could have asked me to do anything and I would have done it. So I said, of course. Um, but I really assumed that it was just to include more voices in the process. I had never really seen someone like me in a job like that. Mm. Um, I didn't know it was possible. Uh, and then, much to my surprise, the next day they offered me the job. And I have been in this job for three and a half years. Wow. Well, you are <laughs> truly a testament to um, one trailbreak trailblazing and to um, the ability to really amplify voices. So thank you for, for all that you are doing. Um, for listeners who may not know, what is it like working in an attorney general's office? What is the jurisdiction of that office? Yeah, so it looks different for different people. Uh, the attorney general is the top legal officer for state government in Washington. He's elected by the public for a four-year term. Uh, Attorney General Bob Ferguson, who is our current AG, has been in office since 2013, so about 10 years. He's in the middle of his third term. Uh, we have more than 1,800 employees, and we have offices in 13 cities across the state. The attorneys um, represent state clients and the public interest as directed under state law. Um, so that is how sometimes the attorney general ends up suing President Trump over the Muslim ban, for example. Um, in addition to legal work in Washington state um, of representing state agencies, the AG has the ability to propose legislation and he gets assigned various policy work by our state legislature. Um, so right now the policy team takes on a lot of that policy work. We have about 18 staff uh, and we manage some of the programs that the legislature has created in our office. So we have an office of military and veteran legal affairs that provides free legal assistance to any vet or military service member in the state. Um, we have a tip line program, which is launching this summer. It's an alternative uh, to 911 for youth statewide. 
Um, and then we have a wide range of policy projects that the state will assign us. And that ranges from missing, murdered indigenous women and people, law enforcement use of force, jail standards, sexual assault, environmental justice, organized retail crime, hate crimes, immigration issues, um, and more recently boarding schools. And I like to sort of say that the policy issues really um, dovetail with the nexus with the criminal justice system. Um, and then as folks know for policy analysis in itself, right, um, we have more than half the team is policy analysts and then we have a number of managers and those analysts develop recommendations in response to whatever issue or problem the legislature has identified. Um, they sometimes run task forces, they do extensive stakeholdering. Um, for example, when we wrote our law enforcement um, use of force model policy, the team reached out to every law enforcement agency across the state, did extensive community stakeholdering, and then also incorporated a thousand public comments into the model, model policy before releasing it. Um, and so they worked with people with lived experience, people who have direct experience, advocacy organizations, research institutes, um, and across all the legal divisions in the AG. I love that you've highlighted the collaboration between the branches of state governments. Um, and, and speaking of some of these efforts that the AG's office has have taken on, you know, you have been part of some historic projects in Washington, including efforts to restore voting rights to formerly incarcerated people and reducing barriers for low-income individuals and community members to participate in state task forces. Um, can you speak to some of those projects, what you're most proud of, of working on? And I'll tag on there, since you've worked on so many levels of, of state government, which um, which level of government you've enjoyed working in the most? Oh, that's hard. <laughs> all right. So, great. <laughs> so um, yes, I, I am very lucky. I get to work on a variety of issues. I often tell people I, I am super lucky to have this job. Um, mm. Our attorney general runs a little bit of like a sort of a, it's almost like a contest, I would say, where he solicits ideas from across the agency, policy ideas every year um, from anyone in the agency, and they can submit them to him and he will consider them for his policy agenda. Um, so last year, um, one of the bills you referred to that I submitted was reducing barriers for low-income folks to participate. This year was a really cool bill that he also picked up. And I, I, I just want to say like very fortunate that he um, accepted both proposals. This year, he um, I proposed a bill for him to propose to the legislature on extreme heat and utility companies. So we had had, I know the rest of the country has a lot of extreme heat in Washington state. We do not. It's, it's sort of a new phenomenon. And last year we really had, um, it was maybe the second year that we had suddenly started having heat waves and we lost over a hundred people, um, to the heat wave. Wow. And, uh, the the bill that we propose requires that utility companies keep the power on when that jurisdiction is experiencing some kind of extreme heat and uh, i had researched you know every similar law in the state or in every state in the country there are 19 other states that have similar bills i proposed it to him during this idea generation phase that he does um and it it's not usually something we don't really do a lot of utility work on the policy team so it was totally mm -hmm. on its own um and then he decided to run with the bill and now it is it passed this year and so it's law and that um i felt very proud of being able to contribute to something that helps washingtonians um every day mm. yeah it's clear that you um are having an impact i want to transition here to the impact generally that state governments uh, have on their constituents 
you know, our attention to politics is often focused on the national level. Uh, understandably so, uh, especially as we've navigated an unprecedented past administration, staggering partisanship in Congress, leading to dramatic showdowns. Uh, we're barreling towards one right now. And an increasingly partisan Supreme Court whose recent decisions have had disastrous consequences for Americans. Uh, but this year, especially, President Biden is encouraging Americans to focus their attention on the state level as landmark legislation passed by Congress is being implemented and funding is dispersed to states. So why, in your view, should Americans pay attention to what is happening on the state level? Yeah, I mean, I think I don't um, I think it's important for folks to remember that anything that isn't explicitly regulated by federal law is left to the discretion of the state. So when we're talking about voting, regulating health care, gun control, these are things that we see a lot in the news, things that matter to folks. Um, states run the elections. They set policies on anything from voter identification laws to polling hours to early voting. And while the federal government sets sort of general rules about um, Medicaid, for example, or the Affordable Care Act or what have you, states are the ones that implement the exchanges. They're the ones that regulate insurance companies. They decide what medication and treatment has to be covered. They decide whether or not to accept certain funds. Um, and you know, similarly, with some exceptions, uh, gun control is left to the states, um, waiting periods, ammunition restrictions, safety training, um, and minimum wage. The federal government has an established minimum wage of $7.25 per hour, which has not been updated for a very long time. States have set a higher bar, and Washington State has one of the highest in the country. This year, it's $15.74 per hour. Mm. Um, and so just thinking about there is a lot of opportunity at the states to influence policy, to sort of um, to take the baton and keep moving. And I, uh, I think state policy is some of the most interesting policy in the country, for sure. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Not that we're at all biased. Um, <laughs> so hard. I'll, 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 you said and point out to our listeners that it's the Tenth Amendment of the Constitution um, that delegates all powers that are not um, explicitly given to the federal government to the people. Um, that's to the state governments, and and some of those powers include establishing local local governments. Uh, anytime you need a license for your marriage, for hunting, um, for any of those things, that's on the um, the state level. All education is on the state level um, and maintaining a justice system. So uh, just to really drive home the importance of the work that is being done on the state level. Um, more and more, we're experiencing a patchwork of state policies across issue areas. There's some few really poignant examples that have been in the news lately. Um, Idaho, this is a bordering state to Washington, uh, recently legalized their abortion trafficking bill. Even the social media that we are consuming is being impacted. Montana's legislature recently passed legislation that bans TikTok in their state. There's still a lot of questions on, one, the legality of that, and two, the implementation of that. Um, what does that mean if you're crossing state borders, et cetera? And so how does this patchwork impact the policy that you're working on in Washington? And is your work influenced by legislation that other states have recently passed? Excuse me. Yeah, so maybe the, the last question first. 
for sure, at least on the on our policy team, we regularly, when we put forward recommendations in reports, we regularly do an analysis of what other states are doing, um, what's working for them, and, and sort of what's out there on the topic already. Um, I think you know we're going to see more and more of of some of the things that you have sort of described of um, this patchwork of um, a state right next door to you uh, passing something that might seem more restrictive and and how do we how do we sort of frame that up and and for me I think it's really key to focus on um, how we protect the folks in our state and sort of shift mm -hmm. that frame to who's here in Washington State and what can we do for them. Um, for example, this year our Washington State Legislature passed a bill for medical providers who have had their licenses revoked due to providing or abortions in, for example, Idaho, um, mm -hmm. to be able to provide medical care in Washington state as long as they are practicing within the standards of our medical care. So as long as you're in Washington state, you're following Washington rules, you're okay. And I think it's really nuanced and we have to think about the whole system and where the state is exercising its authority um, and it's not always going to be able to protect everyone. And I think that mm -hmm. is that is some of the hard part, right? Like we want to we want to help all the people, but we really we have jurisdiction over our own. Um, and I, I but I will say this, and I think you, you know, Reed, I think you and I are sort of like cheering each other on in this conversation. But mm -hmm. <laughs> I think, you know, it is some of the most interesting, challenging policy I've ever worked on. Mm -hmm. um, it's complex. It's thinking through both like system interaction and then like what is the right policy solution and how do they all sort of intersect? And I, I, I think um, for me, it is uh, it is profoundly humbling to be a part of these conversations um, where folks are trying to do what's right and also mm -hmm. trying to figure out um, where they can sort of make the biggest impact. Sure, sure. And we're, of course, navigating unprecedented times. That word yeah. seems to be um, a trigger word for some folks, but it does seem like, you know, the funding even that's being funneled down to the state level, that is unprecedented. And so I just want to echo the the challenge that you are facing and, and really encourage you <laughs> to continue the, the fight because y'all are doing great things in Washington. Um, on that note, on the, the unprecedented times that we're in, um, it's clear that our democracy is in a fragile state. Um, on a federal level, there's increased barriers to access spaces and more actors determined to oppose fair elections and democratic practices. How do you see state governments as strengthening our shared democratic values? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, states across the country are picking up the baton. I think it's, you know, I, I want to, I don't want to minimize this. I think, um, I think it is a little terrifying to see some of the states passing more restrictions where they have the discretion to do so. Mm -hmm. um, and the way I sort of hold on is, is sort of being heartened by the laws that we are passing in Washington state, that we are preserving the values of our country, that we are moving the needle forward. And to me, it's a question about leadership and organizing. And there are a lot of different places, right, for leadership, whether it's federal government, the Supreme Court, state government, local government, um, and to see that the states aren't backing down. You know, in, in mm -hmm. February of this year, 20 governors, including Washington state's governor, announced a coalition committed to protecting and expanding reproductive freedom in their state. It's the largest such coalition ever. Um, and, you know, I was looking at it and it, I realized, you know, it says that they represent 170 million people in this country, which is more than half of the population. And, and I was looking, I was like, well, how do you know, provide, con how do you explain to somebody how many people that is? And 
And I was like, what's the biggest country you know? And it, it for me, it, like I think about Russia, for example, mm -hmm. and it's 145 million people. So it's more than the entire country of Russia is represented by those governors and wow. they are moving forward the needle. And that gives me hope. I, you know, I'm a mother as well. I have two children, I have a little girl. You know, a lot of these things um, impact me and my family too. And I, it, it matters a lot to sort of see those governors coming together with their shared narrative um, and their shared values and pushing the needle forward. Right. And uh, it's not just reproductive freedom. It's also expanding voting rights, right. voting rights and acknowledging the climate crisis that we are in. Right. So there's all sorts of ways that um, state governments are, are really pushing the needle um, in in a time where that doesn't seem to be happening in our federal legislative bodies. Yeah, for sure. So one way that I think that um, state governments really expand our democracy is by improving access. Um, some of our listeners may be experts in policy, some may be federal staffers, um, or some may be citizens that um, are, you know, increasingly upset about the potholes in front of their house. There's all different kinds of listeners. How can these people get involved in their state governments? Yeah, I mean, I think there's lots of different ways. Uh, we have a number of task forces, advisory groups where folks can participate. Um, all of ours are open to the public. Uh, folks regularly can provide public testimony. They can email staff at any point with their thoughts and feedback. You know, the policy team spends a lot of time responding back to folks, listening to their ideas. Um, and, you know, I was just on a meeting last week with somebody who had reached out to the AG with some policy ideas that he had. Um, I think don't be afraid to speak out. That is the beauty of our democracy. Don't be afraid to reach out. The elected mm -hmm. officials are here to serve you. Um, and it, I think you know most of us in public service are, are doing our best to um, be responsive to that. And it is something we believe in deeply. So I think you know participating in the various processes, providing that public comment, giving your feedback um, and letting us know your thoughts are, are all really important and key. Agreed. And never underestimate uh, the impact a phone call may have. Some yeah. intern is taking that phone call and will report back. So um, always get involved <laughs> in whatever way that you can. Uh, well, Sahar, uh, thank you so much for joining us. I want to give you the opportunity for any final words that you may have um, on state governments, on the work that you're doing, maybe some encouragement for folks who are reading the news and feeling a little nervous about our country. Yeah, I mean, well, first I want to say thank you. I, you know, thank you to um, Mosaic for having this program. I think I was in the inaugural cohort in 2020, I'm seeing nods, uh, <laughs> and that was, you know, the first year of COVID. It was really nice to have an opportunity to connect with folks when we were so isolated. I've always felt really mentored um, by the folks on your team, and it, it has really helped me to sort of see the leadership. Um, I, I am heartened by that leadership. You know, for me, when I think about the folks who are out there passing these different laws, who are working really diligently into the night, um, trying to find a way to provide the best possible policy that makes our country great, I that is what helps me um, get through the day. And so, you know, I, I completely understand that sometimes reading the news can be hard. Um, and I want to make sure that folks are taking time for their self-care um, when they're being traumatized by whatever is in the news, but then also remembering that um, there is so much opportunity and so much momentum and so many people who are trying so hard to make the world a better place. And, and I think they are winning every day. 
Yes, I entirely agree with you. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us, Sahar. Everyone listening, just remember that state governments are important and impact your daily life um, and get involved in any way that you can. Thanks for listening. Want to learn more about the Progressive Policy Institute? Follow us on Twitter at PPI and on Facebook at Progressive Policy Institute, or go to our website at progressivepolicy.org. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen and check back for new episodes. We'll talk with you soon.